Chapter Eighteen of Irihuan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ernst Patinama. Chapter Eighteen, Birth Formulae. I heard what follows not from Aruhina, but from Mister Nosnibor and some of the gentlemen who occasionally dined at the house. They told me that the Irihonians believe in pre-existence, and not only this, of which I will write more fully in the next chapter, but they believe that it is of their own free act and deed in a previous state that they come to be born into this world at all. They hold that the unborn are perpetually plaguing and tormenting the marriage of both sexes, fluttering about them incessantly, and giving them no peace, either of mind or body, until they have consented to take them under their protection. If this were not so, this at least is what they urge, it would be a monstrous freedom for one man to take with another, to say that he should undergo the chances and changes of this mortal life without any option in the matter. No man would have any right to get married at all, inasmuch as he can never tell what frightful misery his doing so may entail forcibly upon a being who cannot be unhappy as long as he does not exist. They feel this so strongly that they are resolved to shift the blame on to other shoulders, and have fashioned a long mythology as to the world in which the unborn people live, and what they do and the arts and machinations to which they have recourse in order to get themselves into our own world. But of this more anon. What I would relate here is the manner of dealing with those who do come. It is a distinguishing peculiarity of the Irihonians that, when they profess themselves to be quite certain about any matter, and avow it as a base on which they are to build a system of practice, they seldom quite believe in it, if they smell a rat about the precincts of a cherished institution, they will always stop their noses to it, if they can. This is what most of them did in this matter of the unborn, for I cannot, and never could, think that they seriously believed in their mythology concerning pre-existence. They did, and they did not. They did not know themselves what they believed. All they did know was that it was a disease not to believe as they did. The only thing of which they were quite sure was that it was the pestering of the unborn which caused them to be brought into this world, and that they would not have been here if they would have only let peaceable people alone. It would be hard to disprove this position, and they might have a good case if they would only leave it as it stands, but this they will not do. They must have assurance doubly sure. They must have the written word of the child itself, as soon as it is born, giving the parents indemnity from all responsibility on the score of its birth, and asserting its own pre-existence. They have therefore devised something which they call a birth formula, a document which varies in words according to the caution of parents, but is much the same practically in all cases, for it has been the business of the Irihonian lawyers during many ages to exercise the skill in perfecting it and providing for every contingency. These formulae are printed on common paper at a moderate cost for the poor, but the rich have them written on parchment and handsomely bound, 
so that the getting up of a person's birth formula is a test of his social position. They commence by setting forth that, whereas A.B. was a member of the Kingdom of the Unborn, where he was well provided for in every way, and had no cause of discontent, etc., etc., he did of his own wanton depravity and restlessness conceive a desire to enter into this present world, that thereon, having taken the necessary steps as set forth in laws of the unborn kingdom, he did, with malice aforethought, set himself to plague and pester two unfortunate people who had never wronged him, and who were quite contented and happy until he conceived this base design against their peace, for which wrong he now humbly entreats their pardon. He acknowledges that he is responsible for all physical blemishes and deficiencies which may render him answerable to the laws of his country, that his parents have nothing whatever to do with any of these things, and that they have a right to kill him at once, if they be so minded, though he entreats them to show their marvellous goodness and clemency by sparing his life. If they will do this, he promises to be the most obedient and abject creature during his earlier years, and indeed all his life, unless they should see fit in their abundant generosity to remit some portion of his service hereafter. And so the formula continues, going sometimes into very minute details, according to the fancies of family lawyers, who will not make it any shorter than they can help. The deed being thus prepared, on the third or fourth day after the birth of the child, or as they call it, the final importunity, the friends gather together, and there is a feast held, where they are all very melancholy, as a general rule I believe quite truly so, and make presents to the father and mother of the child, in order to console them for the injury which has just been done them by the unborn. By and by the child himself is brought down by his nurse, and the company begin to rail upon him, upbraiding him for his impertinence, and asking him what amends he proposes to make for the wrong that he has committed, and how he can look for care and nourishment from those who have perhaps already been injured by the unborn on some ten or twelve occasions, for they say of people with large families that they have suffered terrible injuries from the unborn, till at last, when this has been carried far enough, someone suggests the formula which is brought out and solemnly read to the child by the family straightener. This gentleman is always invited on these occasions, for the very fact of intrusion into a peaceful family shows a depravity on the part of the child which requires his professional services. On being teased by the reading and tweaked by the nurse, the child will commonly begin to cry, which is reckoned a good sign, as showing a consciousness of guilt. He is thereon asked, Does he assent to the formula? On which, as he still continues crying, and can obviously make no answer, some one of the friends comes forward and undertakes to sign the document on his behalf, feeling sure, so he says, that a child would do it if he only knew how and that he will release the present signer from his engagement on arriving at maturity. The friend then inscribes the signature of the child at the foot of the parchment, which is held to bind the child as much as though he had signed it himself. Even this, however, does not fully content them, 
for they feel a little uneasy until they have got the child's own signature after all. So when he is about fourteen, these good people partly bribe him by promises of greater liberty and good things, and partly intimidate him through their great power of making themselves actively unpleasant to him, so that, though there is a show of freedom made, there is really none. They also use the offices of the teachers in the colleges of unreason, till at last, in one way or another, they take very good care that he shall sign the paper for which he professes to have been a free agent in coming into the world, and to take all the responsibility of having done so on to his own shoulders. And yet, though this document is obviously the most important which any one can sign in his whole life, they will have him do so at an age when neither they nor the law will, for many a year, allow any one else to bind him to the smallest obligation, no matter how righteously he may owe it, because they hold him too young to know what he is about, and do not consider it fair that he should commit himself to anything that may prejudice him in after years. I own that all this seemed rather hard, and not of a piece with the many admirable institutions existing among them. I once ventured to say a part of what I thought about it to one of the professors of unreason. I did it very tenderly, but his justification of the system was quite out of my comprehension. I remember asking him whether he did not think it would do harm to a lad's principles, by weakening his sense of the sanctity of his word and of truth generally, that he should be led into entering upon a solemn declaration as to the truth of things about which all that he can certainly know is that he knows nothing, whether, in fact, the teachers who so led him, or who taught anything as a certainty, of which they were themselves uncertain, were not earning their living by impairing the truth-sense of their pupils, a delicate organization mostly, and by vitiating one of the most sacred instincts. The professor, who was a delightful person, seemed greatly surprised at the view which I took, but it had no influence with him whatsoever. No one, he answered, expected that the boy either would or could know all that he said he knew, but the world was full of compromises, and there was hardly any affirmation which would bear being interpreted literally. Human language was too gross a vehicle of thought, thought being incapable of absolute translation. He added, that as there can be no translation from one language into another, which shall not scant the meaning somewhat, or enlarge upon it, so there is no language which can render thought without a jarring and a harshness somewhere, and so forth. All of which seemed to come to this in the end, that it was the custom of the country, and that the Irihonians were a conservative people, that a boy would have to begin compromising sooner or later, and this was part of his education in the art. It was perhaps to be regretted that compromise should be as necessary as it was. Still it was necessary, and the sooner the boy got to understand it, the better for himself. But they never tell this to the boy. From the book of their mythology about the unborn, I made the extracts which will form the following chapter. End of chapter 18 Recording by Ernst Patinama, Amsterdam, the Netherlands.